My name's AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Um, I get the privilege to bring the word to you this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, would you open it? Because this will be a good message to follow along with. We're going to cover a lot of ground uh, in John chapter 4 when we get there. Um, and I will, you know, summarize some of the story, but if you've got your Bible, it would be a good one um, to follow along with. The title of the message today is The Harvest is Here. So I'm going to say The Harvest is Here. Okay, now say it with some faith on it. The harvest is here. All right, there we go. God's not done. He hasn't forgotten what he's doing. He is working and he has been sowing this whole season. We're in John chapter 4. We're going to start all the way down in verse 31. And we're going to read four verses. And we're going to talk about this story in John. John 4, 31, it says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence in this room this morning, and we just jump into the stream of you ministering to us. So, Father, help me get out of the way that you might be seen and glorified this day. Amen. Um, I kind of dropped us in the middle of a story. Um, if you ever watch like a Marvel movie, it's like the first scene of a Marvel movie. You just, all of a sudden there's action, stuff is happening, people are saying things, they're chasing something, you don't know what's going on or why we're here, but you love it. you just like, I'm here for it. This will be important later, I'm sure, but whatever's happening, I'm here for it. I like movies that, uh, that start with the ending. They'll give you like, they'll start in the finale and they'll give you like three minutes of the finale and it's like chaos and you're like, what is going on? Who are these people? What is all this? And it'll be like 24 hours earlier. And you're like, how do we get there from here? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm trying to do that this morning. We'll see how it goes. But we're going to start at the end of the story and then we're going to go back until the beginning of the story and see how we get to where we started from. This is uh, the end of the story of the woman at the well. If you've been in church for a while, you probably have heard this story, the story of the woman at the well. Uh, a couple things we need to know as we talk about the woman at the well. The first is that this is a story that takes place in Samaria. Uh, and if you've been around church or you were here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Corey was preaching on open eyes. He talked about, Samar uh, about Samaria. A lot of us hear Samaria, we think of the Good Samaritan. Um, we think Samaritans are good, noble people, but that's not the context of this story. That was an illustration Jesus used to kind of shock people. We know that there's a long and disagreeable history between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, and it goes back five, six hundred years, like Second Kings, Old Testament level grudges between these two people groups. It was racially driven. Samaritans had intermarried with other tribes and people groups, and so they were seen as less than by the Jews. They were called some awful names by them. They didn't want anything to do with this people group. They thought that their version of faith, although it was shared to some extent, was different and therefore for sullied and therefore less than. In fact, in Ezra, the Samaritans offer to help rebuild the temple. And the Israelites say, no, thank you. We actually don't even want your help. And so the Samaritans, they go build a temple up on Mount Gerizim and the Jews build their temple in Jerusalem. 
There's long shared animosity between these people groups. And here comes Jesus and his disciples in John 4. They're heading from Judea, which is in the south, up to Galilee, which is in the north, and right there in the middle, Samaria. So why go through Samaria? If you don't have to, if you know the people there are no good, if you've got no business in Samaria, why go through it? Certainly there are routes around Samaria. Certainly you could avoid it if you had to, but it says in John 4, 4, Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria, had to do it. He had to go through Samaria. There was something going on there. Jacob's well was there. Jacob of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, he had a well that was there in Samaria. His son, Joseph, remember Joseph? He had the Technicolor dream coat. Joseph, uh, his burial site, we think is somewhere near this space. There's this rich, shared history. And yet this great, deep animosity. And Jesus says, yeah, we're going to go through that place. Come on, guys. Let's go together. You know, sometimes we have to go through difficult places to be in the purpose of God. Sometimes we have to go through undesirable places to be in the purpose of God. Sometimes we have to go through some places we'd really rather not go, but God's got a reason for us to be there. One preacher said it like this. I didn't come up with this, so I'm not going to try to steal it, but I will share it with you. He said, we all have a Samaria. In fact, we all have some area of our lives that God might be taking us through. We all have some area of our past, some area of hurt. We all have some area of pain or of issue. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to take you through some area of your life because I got purpose for you in Samaria. I didn't come up with it, but it's good. Here's what you can know for sure. If Jesus is leading you through Samaria, he's got purpose for you in Samaria and he's going to be there in Samaria with you. So let's find out what Jesus does in Samaria. Because if you've gone through Samaria, some of y'all going through Samaria right now. It can be exhausting going through Samaria. Anybody tired? You don't have to raise your hand. Just, you're tired? Tired of dealing with the same people? Tired of dealing with the same job? Same family? Same sin battle? Tired of just being tired? It says Jesus was tired. It says Jesus wearied as he was. Ain't it good to know Jesus gets tired too? Jesus, wearied as he was, he makes his way to Jacob's well with his disciples and he sits down. He says, I'm going to rest here. You guys go on ahead. Disciples run off looking for food. They're going to grab some lunch. And Jesus sits on Jacob's well and a woman approaches and says, it's midday. It's about noon. Oh, it says it's a sixth hour, which means it's about noon. And uh, this woman comes, Samaritan woman, and Jesus uh, says, would you draw me some water? And she goes, how is it that you, a Jew, would talk to me, a woman of Samaria? Like, what do you want from me, man? Like, what are you, what are you after? Why are you talking to me? What is this about? And Jesus says, if you only knew who I was. Good night. If you knew, if you had any clue who you were talking to and what the offer on the table was, you would be asking me for living water. And she goes, you don't even have a bucket. <laughs> How are you going to get this water? Would you got a well better than Jacob's well? You think you're better than Jacob's well? And Jesus says, listen, 
If you keep drinking from the same sources, you keep returning to the same well, you're going to keep getting thirsty. I'm trying not to preach through every verse of this, but let me tell you what. If you keep drinking from the same sources, same news sources, media sources, same people, same places that you think fill you but yet leave you unsatisfied, leave you feeling some kind of way afterwards, and yet you have this just impulsive instinct to return to that source, Jesus is saying, you keep going back there. It's going to keep leaving you empty. You're going to keep coming back thirsty. But I've got something for you, a well of water, a spring of life. You'll never be thirsty again. She goes, give me some of that. So I don't ever have to come back here to this well. You see, this woman came in the middle of the day, which is not the time that you go to the well. You go to the well if you're a type A person. You go the night before. So you've got your clothes laid out in the morning. You've got your buckets of water ready for the day. And you are organized and planned and prepared. If you're me, you go to the well in the morning on your way to work because you forgot. And you've got to stop by and try to get the well water and get it back to the house so you've got water for the day. The one time you don't go to the well is in the middle of the day when it's hot. And there's other stuff going on. But this is where this woman was. Why? Well, we know her story from this story. She didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be interacting with the people. You could probably stretch it so far to say that the other women in the village probably didn't treat her too kindly. She wanted to be alone and unseen, and yet Jesus sees her. Doesn't he always? Jesus sees her. Give me some water. Why are you talking to me? Man, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for water. You don't have a bucket. Listen, you keep drinking from the same sources, you're always going to be thirsty. And she says, I want that water. So I never have to come back here. If you got a way out for me, I'm taking it. Give it to me. I want it. And Jesus pivots the conversation because he is awesome. Jesus goes, go and get your husband then. You see, Jesus is not after wells and waters and all of this when he's talking to this woman. He's after something much, much more. But he spoke to her desire. He spoke to her need and she was drawn in and says, you've got something that can help me. I want it. But Jesus is not after meeting her physical needs. Jesus is after something going on in her heart. There's something broken inside of this woman. There's something messed up on the inside and that's what he's after. Because the pathway to eternal life is through the heart. Anybody saved in the room? A little hand clap for Jesus. Okay. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful sound. Wasn't there a time, and aren't there many times, maybe even just during this moment we just had during worship, where your heart's affections are stirred and you're reminded of the love God has for you and your love for God, something on the inside, some place of past hurt, some place of past sin that has been healed, redeemed, or forgiven, and you go, God, I love you, I thank you, I'm so glad you are with me and that I am yours and you are mine because the pathway to eternal life it's through the heart. It's not just meeting physical needs. So this woman says, you got water that makes me, me never have to come here. And Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I, um, I don't have a husband. Now, some commentators have said that it is, uh, might be evident that the woman at this point was a little thirsty. Um, <laughs> strange man at the well. Offering her some water, taking an interest, who now asks, you got a boo back home? 
I'm adding to the text. I don't know, but it just could be. I said first service, I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't want to tarnish her reputation. I believe she's in heaven and I don't want to see her there going like, you talking about me in the church. I heard you. So no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying based on the evidence, her past life, there might be something more going on. So she says, I don't have a husband. I'm not married. And Jesus looks at her with that look of compassion that only Christ has and says, I know, you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. She gets knocked off her feet. She's like, this is not where I thought this was going. At first, I'm like, what do you want? Now I'm like, oh, what do you want? Now I'm like, wait, what is it? What do you want? She goes, you must be some kind of prophet. Okay, prophet man, if you're such a prophet, then why don't you tell me where are we supposed to worship, up on the mountain or in Jerusalem? You tell me, Mr. Prophet Man. You know, when I tell people I'm a pastor, it's so funny the way the conversation changes. <laughs> I genuinely, I do love people, so I like talking with folks, maybe my kids' parents from school, people in the grocery store, whatever it is, and, uh, you know, have a good conversation. It's very normal, very natural, and then it's like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. It's like, oh, Good for you. I'm like, it's about to get good for you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I take this tract. Um, uh, no, <laughs> sorry. Then they always go, oh, where do you preach at? So I tell them I invite them to church. It's fine. But then the conversation's never the same. Jesus presents herself to this woman. She goes, oh, you must be a prophet. Where do we preach at? From the mountain of? Gerizim or in Jerusalem. You know what she's doing? She's doing what so many of us do. When our encounter with Jesus starts to touch something we didn't want touched. When we start hearing the words of a message that start pricking some things in our life, we start deflecting. We go, you know who this message would be good for? I should send this message to my mom. I should send this message to my husband. This is a really good message. He's really preaching. I should post this on Facebook so somebody else can hear it. What do we do? We deflect. It's like... I don't know what it's like. Self-preservation mechanism because it's what this woman does. Jesus has touched her area of greatest pain and greatest need, and she goes, oh, you're a prophet. So is what's, you know, could you answer this question? I've just been thinking about it all day long. Uh, I always think about it while I'm at the well. Uh, do we worship in Gerizim or Jerusalem? Like, what are your thoughts there? Are you an Old Testament guy or a New Testament guy? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite book of the Bible? You know, if we leave the conversation at the conceptual level, at the intellectual level, it allows us to have distance from the message. We never have to get close. We never have to do anything about it. We can just consider it and think about it and ponder it. And this is what this woman is doing. Jesus has read her whole biography back to her. And she goes, is some mountain and some other, what you wanna, where we worship? Jesus is not after something conceptual in us. He's not after something intellectual in us. Now, hear me well. Yes, we need to be smart. We need to study our Bible. We need to know the truths of our theology so we have a proper framework. But at this point in the conversation, what this woman does not need is answers to the question of how worship works. What she needs is something broken on the inside fixed. And Jesus says, I'm looking right at it. 
That's what I want to deal with, and that's what I want to touch. And she says, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about all that. And Jesus says, listen, the time is coming. In fact, it is here. It's not about mountains. It's not about temples. It's not about what you know. It's about how you worship. And do you worship him in spirit and in truth? Because my Father knows the ones who worship him in spirit and in truth. So you can worship him in a mountain. You can worship him in your car. You can worship him wherever you want. The matter is not where you worship. The matter is how you worship. Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Are we here today looking for answers? Are we here today looking for the truth? Are we here today because we're after God's heart? Because he's after your heart. He wants to deal with something on the inside of us. But the woman wants it at a conceptual level. She says, well, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when the Messiah gets here, he's going to answer all my questions. So we'll just leave it at that. And Jesus does what only Jesus can do. I imagine this is how it plays in my mind. She says, well, Messiah's coming. He'll answer all my questions. And I imagine Jesus locks eyes with her. And in a way that only he can say it because only he is the son of God. Only he is the Messiah. Only he can say these words with absolute truth. Says, the Messiah that you're speaking of it's me. And I imagine this woman hears these words and it's confusion at first. What? And then she plays back the conversation in her mind. How did he know about my five husbands? How does he know about Jimmy? He was talking about living water. Is he talking about eternal life? He's clearly a prophet. Is he more than a prophet? And I imagine her palms get sweaty and her heart starts to beat fast and she gets a little flush and it's like she's got vertigo for a moment. She's like knocked off balance because the revelation of who this man is and all of our history of a Messiah that's going to come could be standing right in front of her and it's like just heat all over her body and she's nervous and she's buzzing and all of a sudden it says, just then the disciples came back. Hey, yo, Jesus, we got your six piece with the large fry, brother. Where you want to sit in? Man, you won't believe what Peter said to the guy at the register. Peter out there going, oh, I'm sorry, man. I didn't see you were having a conversation. Sorry about that. Anyways, we're going to sit down and eat. And I don't know how it went. That's how I like to imagine it. Because I imagine Jesus locking eyes with this woman. Disciples come back. Oh, hey, fellas, yeah, I was just in the middle of a conversation. Turns and she's gone. Left her water jug and everything. Bolted. Ran back to the village. You know, there's this old saying. That's a pirate saying. First time I've quoted pirate in the church. (laughs) Dead men tell no tales. If you ain't living, you ain't lying. You got nothing to say. It's true in the kingdom of God as well. Dead men standing dead in their transgressions, dead in their trespasses, they got nothing to say. But when you have been made alive in Christ, when he has done something on the inside of you, when there is some hurt that has been healed, and when there's been a revelation of who the Savior is, man, you can't help but say something. A transformed woman got a testimony to tell, and a saved man got something to say. And if God has done something on the inside of you, there's no way, there's no way you can keep it there. So she bolts back to the town. And she wants to tell everybody, come and see a man who told me everything about myself. And it said the whole town began to come out. 
Disciples ignored her. Didn't pay her any mind at all. Looked right past her. It says they didn't even ask Jesus about the conversation. They just, why? Man, they was hungry. You ever been so hungry you can't see anything else? You are hungry. You are tired. And Samaria is a place you get through. This brings us back to where we started. John 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. We got the Chick-fil-A sauce. Why don't you want any? And he says, I have food to eat you don't know about. And these thick-headed disciples. <laughs> Did you pack a meal? Who gave him lunch? You got something you didn't tell? Jesus, you always one step ahead, brother. I like the way you multiplied the fish again while we weren't looking. Man, you good, Jesus. They don't get it. He goes, my food is to do the will and accomplish the work of my father. Three things I want, to, I want us to take from this message. If you're taking notes now, is a good time to start. Number one, the harvest is life. The harvest is life. The disciples were not thinking about Samaria. They were thinking about lunch. They were tired and they were weary. They were not focused on the mission or what was happening. But Jesus has something else in mind. Jesus had to go through Samaria because there was something happening in Samaria. And Jesus, as wearied as he was, as tired as he was from the journey, as exhausted as he was from dealing with these disciples, Jesus had to go through Samaria because something was happening in Samaria. There was someone in Samaria that needed him. And so, no, I don't need lunch today because there's somebody that needs my help. And the source that I draw from, the one that sustains me, the one that gives me life day after day after day, the one that fills me, the thing that keeps me motivated and moving is not eating, but is participating in the work that my father is doing in the lives of the people that he has sent me to reach. That gives me sustenance. That sustains me. That's what I need. Disciples were thinking about some barbecue. Jesus is thinking about the will in the work of the Father. Sometimes the only way to get through your Samaria is to start participating with what God is doing there and to see that place as a place of the harvest. Sometimes the only way to get through what you're going through is to get in on what God is doing because everybody has to go through Samaria. If you can help somebody get through theirs, you'll be shocked at how it helps you get through their, yours. The harvest is life, and life happens to us all. It is merciless and unkind. But our present situation, our present circumstance, can never distract us from the work and the will of the Father, because it's happening to all of us. And all of us need what Jesus gives to this woman. Secondly, the harvest is here. Jesus then says, don't you have a saying? Four months till the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Jesus says, you're used to sowing one day 
and reaping another. You will plant, and then many months later, it's four months to the harvest. Harvest is coming later. They were sowing, now they're resting, they'll reap later. Jesus is saying, you eat, I'll reap. There's something happening in Samaria. The disciples don't see Samaria as a place to uh, sow. They see it as a place to go through. It's a place you pass by. It's a place you, you ignore along the way. You get refueled and then you just get out of there as fast as you can. But Jesus is saying Samaria is the place of the harvest. They would have never seen this woman as meaningful. In fact, they didn't. She was standing right there talking with Jesus and they ignored her. They don't even ask Jesus about the conversation. But Jesus sees something in people that even his disciples don't see. And aren't you glad? I mean, I was reading this and I was just thinking through this. Aren't you glad Jesus sees something in you even his own disciples don't see? Man, he sees something in you maybe your family doesn't see. And I bet you he sees something in you even you don't see. But he's there for it. Jesus said there's something in Samaria. Sitting by a well in Samaria is one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen. So we got to go through Samaria. We got to stop by. And we got to have a conversation with this woman. Because he tells her the truth about herself. She runs back to her village and the whole crowd is coming. And the disciples are going, hey man, did you eat? And Jesus is saying, man, don't you know the harvest is here? And they're going like, you... You, packed, you harvested some food, you packed a lunch, what are you talking about? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 look up, look up, the harvest is here. And they're going, what harvest? All I see is some Samaritans, what harvest are you talking about? And he goes, no, yeah, lift your eyes, lift your eyes, look up, the harvest is coming. They go, I don't see a harvest, all I see is these people we don't like. All I see is this problem coming. So could you tell us where the harvest is so we can get in on that before this crowd comes? And Jesus goes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the harvest, though. That's the harvest. The thing we see as the problem, the thing we see as something we want to disassociate from, the thing we see as a distraction, as a place to get through, Jesus is saying, that is your harvest field. That is where I have been sowing all day long while you have been resting. So lift your eyes up off yourself and see what is coming. The harvest is right here. It's right in front of you. It is here. But the harvest is the hardest part. It's number three. Harvest is life. The harvest is here. The harvest is the hardest part. It's easy to hear that and go like, oh, praise God. The harvest is here. We did it. It's done. God, you did it. Like the corn just jumps off the stalk and into your bag. Like the apples just pick themselves from the tree. Like, like revival is just going to go ahead and break itself out. Like awakening has set its own alarm clock and will let us know when it's here. No, no, no. The harvest is when we got to get to work. Because this crop doesn't pick itself. Because the harvest is the time where the resting is over. God has tilled the soil. We know that Jesus, the sower, sows the seed. And the time has come where the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. The time for the harvest is now. The time for the harvest requires some work. Requires some work, which ain't that fun all the time. But if Jesus has tended to his crop, then you know it's primed for the picking. So you will be surprised in this season just how far an invitation to church will go. 
You will be surprised in this season just how meaningful an offer to pray for your waiter or the guy working on your HVAC unit will go. You will be surprised at how much life an invitation to your small group will bring to somebody who is hungering and thirsting for something. Jesus sees a woman at a well. He sees something in her nobody else saw. He saw Samaria as a place of purpose, not a place to pass by. And he knew that the pathway for eternal life for her and the bridge into the city and this bridge into this people group was through the broken heart of the woman. And he says, that's where I'm going to sow. And the harvest will come because transformed people tell tales. Follow those people on Facebook, found a diet plan they can't stop talking about? (laughs) Yes, you do. You got those friends that now trading on Robin Hood, want to tell you about all their wins and all their gains? Uh, Yes, you do. I'm not mad at them. Keep doing it. I'm happy for you. I'm just saying, transform people, they're going to tell the whole world about it. They're going to tell you about a man who knew everything about them, who looked into the darkest part of their hearts and diagnosed their malady and offered himself as the remedy. He says, I see you, woman. It's not that you've just had five husbands. You feel worthless. You feel abused. You feel used. And more than anything, you feel unworthy lovable but I see you and I wonder what it takes for us to see people the way that Jesus sees them because the disciples have walked with him and talked with him and been with him and the crowd comes but they couldn't see it they couldn't see it so what does Jesus see that the disciples don't see When a crowd comes, well, Matthew 9, he tells us. In Matthew's gospel, there's another um, account, not of this story, but a different story, but there's an account of when a crowd comes to Jesus. Matthew 9, 36. And he says, or it says, Matthew writes, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sits at Jacob's well and he sees a woman who feels unlovable and worthless. And he goes, this is a woman, not with a sin problem, not with some bad habits, not just with like relational baggage, This is a woman who is being harassed by the voice of the devil who is telling her, you have no worth, you have no value, no man will ever take you, no one will ever love you, you are nothing. Don't even go around when those other women are around. You be by yourself. That's where you belong. And without the son, without Jesus, without the voice and the true living word of God, she is helpless to do anything. How do you overcome that voice? If you don't have a true voice in your ear, church, there are no shortage. There is no shortage of people who are right now harassed and helpless, harassed by the devil, helpless without the son. And Jesus doesn't get fired up about that with righteous indignation. 
He doesn't get mad. He doesn't go on the warpath. He has compassion because he knows just sheep who need a shepherd. And a lost sheep wants to be led. A lost sheep doesn't want to be alone. This woman didn't want to be alone. You know that. What she wanted more than anything was to feel loved and accepted. But here she is alone. So she will grab on to any shepherd that would lead her. And she did six times. And it didn't work out for her once. And along comes a good shepherd. The one who leads her by streams of living water. The one who makes her lie down in green pastures. And he says, I see you. And I see what's inside of you. And I want it because I'm the one who can save your soul. And so she runs and tells the village. Jesus finishes in Matthew 9. He says, the harvest field is, is plenty. It's plenty. There's no shortage of people who are harassed and helpless. But the laborers, boy, are the laborers hard to find. They're eating lunch down in the village. They're on break. They're going through their areas of life, and so they don't have time for the mission. They've got to focus on themselves for a season. And so Jesus sows and reaps by himself. And he'll do it. But this room is packed full of people. And I know there's a couple hundred of y'all watching online. And what if we weren't like the disciples? What if we were like Jesus? Because what he did wasn't really that astounding. What did he do? He saw a woman in need. Stopped what he was doing. This is a hard one. He let his friends go on ahead. Started a conversation with her. Shared the truth about who she was, tethered to the hope of the gospel. That's all he did. So all he did was he made time for a lost sheep to lead her to the good shepherd. And revival breaks out in the city. It breaks out like never before. So we're going to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his field. And let me give you just a little spoiler alert. We are the laborers. So it's not that there are few of us it's that few of us have answered the call. And I get it. It's not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of conviction. I get it. It's nothing more I want to do after church day than to eat a meal and go take a nap. But trust me. I'm like the disciples way more than I'm like Jesus. I see that person in need. I see that person with a bad background. I see that person who just drives me crazy. Last thing I want to do is stop what I'm doing. Sit with them. And tell them a story about a man who knew everything about me. not what we're here for? Have we not been transformed by the gospel? Are we not a new creation in Christ? Not who we were, we're something new. Dead men tell no tales. And my prayer for us is that we would be a church and a people who would not leave Jesus by the well by himself. 
pray for us that we would be a people who participate in the harvest because he has primed the pump and it's ready. All we got to do is go. So let's pray that we would. Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we are grateful for your grace, for your compassion, for your mercy shown to us. We are grateful, God, that in this season you are doing something in fields we have not sown in, yet you are preparing a harvest for your kingdom. Places we never thought we would go, you are sending us. Things we never thought we could do, you are doing. God, give us the boldness. Give us the courage. Remind us of our stories of transformation, how you have changed us from death to life, that we might be ministers of the gospel, that we might be hope in a hopeless place, that we might be light in the darkness.